Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and that music makes me happy because it means I'm going to spend time with you. So thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you've had a great day, and I hope you're having a great week. And we're going to have a, a great show today. Doug Blair is going to be joining me in just a minute. Then Dr. Greg Borgon is going to come into the studio, and then Todd Mulliken an hour two. So it's going to be a great show. I always like hearing from my friends and colleagues over at The Daily Signal. Doug Blair is a a news producer for The Daily Signal and also a co-host of The Daily Signal podcast. Doug, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bill. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, always uh, nice to have you on. Lots of stuff going on in the news for sure. Uh, One story, though, I've been a little bit intrigued with has been what's going on with the NBA in China. I know that's not... Not normal we'd start with, but I, I do would love to get your take on that. Yeah, no, this has been an interesting story to watch because the NBA has been accused in the past of sort of kowtowing to China on a lot of these human rights issues because China is such a big market for them. One of the players that we've actually had on the Daily Signal podcast in the past is a man named Inez Cantor Freedom. Right. Uh, Inez was born in uh, Turkey. He was raised there, and he, he kind of learned very quickly that the Turkish government is very autocratic and uh, authoritarian and has all these sort of anti-democratic procedures in place. So when he moved to America, he recognized that this was a land of opportunity. He recognized this was a place where things could be better. And when he looks at China, he sees a lot of those very same things happening in China that he witnessed back when he was a kid in Turkey. So he speaks out against it. Well, the NBA has been very, uh, let's say, not so happy with Inez's positions on China and is sort of implying that he should stop doing it. So a leaked uh, audio recording of a bunch of NBA executives saying things like, okay, well, the Chinese are getting angry. We need to, like, tamp down on this. We need to, like, deal with this. It's sort of getting some traction because, as, as many people have accused the NBA of doing, it seems now we have sort of concrete evidence that they are, in fact, aware that China doesn't like it when people talk about their human rights abuses, and the NBA is sort of complicit in covering that up. Mm. It's a troubling story because it does seem there's a lot of kowtowing to the NBA, uh, to China from the NBA. And I hate to see that, especially when you uh, see the players and coaches looking the other way and not being as friendly to America. Absolutely. And again, we should sort of hope that an American business would be more willing to sort of stand up for human rights, right? Like an American business should say American values like human rights and freedom of religion. These are good things. We should have those across the globe. But Inez Cantor Freedom seems to be the only person in the NBA right now who is doing that. I mean, it seems like he and LeBron James are about as polar opposites as you can get. LeBron James has gone on record in the past as saying that, you know, people should stop uh, criticizing China because America also has its problems. Well, you know, I think you can sort of walk and chew gum at the same time and say that while America does have some issues, it's not perfect. China does have these things as well, but it seems like LeBron is sort of in in the same camp as these NBA executives and that China needs to be protected and shielded. Yeah. I've seen Enos on TV before, Doug, and I have to say that is one polite man. If he was on my show right now, he'd be calling me Mr. Arnold. (laughs) 
Whereas, he is a very, very nice guy. I liked Inez a lot when we talked. Yeah. Um, and how long ago did you talk to him? Um, it was probably about two or three months ago. So okay. this was still kind of a thing that was going on at the time. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend, obviously, not to you know toot my own horn. I think it was a very good interview, and I thought that he, he, he very clearly explained why he thinks this is so valuable. And I think it's really great insight for people to understand, like, you know, people across the globe are watching yes. the Chinese and what they're doing. And it's very important for us to hold them to account for what they're doing to their own people. Yeah. All right. Um, what about... Supreme Court and term limits. Is that getting discussed? Well, Bill, you know my favorite topic to talk about <laughs> is the Supreme Court because it seems like every week there's something going on with those uh, guys. Right? Um, that is something that is getting traction. Um, a new poll came out recently that indicated a majority of Americans are in favor of imposing term limits on the Supreme Court. Um, while that is something that it seems like Americans are in agreement about, it doesn't seem like that actually is going to go anywhere for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, the Supreme Court would have to rule in it on itself. Uh, obviously, if, if it's a law that's passed by Congress, the Supreme Court is able to determine whether or not that is constitutional or not. It seems like it would be considered unconstitutional. These are terms for life. Therefore, it would sort of run afoul of how the court has traditionally viewed its uh, it's, it's role in, in the sort of the process that it doesn't get sort of to, ge- to be determined by the Congress. It's, it's more along the lines that they sort of have these appointments for life. They determine what the law is, and then we go from there. Um, now, that being said, it does sort of speak to how Americans are viewing the legitimacy of the court. While conservatives, I think, are very happy with how the decision in the Dobbs case came down that Roe v. Wade was overturned, it did sort of indicate that the court is out of step with the public. Now, if you believe that the court's role is to legislate from the bench, as it seems like some members of Congress and some members of the American public do, then, of course, you would, you would want the, the court to line up with how the court of public opinion goes. But that's not the job of the Supreme Court, right? The traditional understanding of the court is that they were sort of this body above uh, the whims of the people, that basically they would say the law is the Constitution. The Constitution determines what uh, is acceptable in America, and therefore, even if public opinion goes one way and the Constitution says something else, we need to side with the Constitution. So it does seem unlikely that we'll start to see a, a, a push in that direction to impose term limits on the court for those reasons that I outlined. But it is something that is being discussed, so I think it's important for people to know about that. Mm-hmm. Doug Blair is my guest. Oh, he's from the Daily Signal. And Doug, when I'm looking at some of the headlines regarding uh, people not being able to pay their bills, not being able to save money. Um, and there's alarming statistics of people just uh, trying to keep their head above water right now. Right. And, Bill, I mean, I, I'm sure your listeners are feeling the brunt of this of this pain as well. Like, it's not something that affects uh, just one side of the country or one part of the country. It's really something that's affecting everywhere. Uh, inflation is hitting massive numbers. If, if the numbers are be, to be believed, we could actually be seeing the highest numbers of inflation uh, ever. Um, there are certain people, certain ec- ec- economists, excuse me, that are saying that the, the way that it was determined in the past, we are no longer using that system. But if we were to use that same system that we used back, I think back in the 50s, we would actually be higher um, than the, the highest point of inflation currently. So it's bad. I mean, I think that, that it can sort of be summed up in that expression that it's, it's really bad. And it really doesn't seem to be getting any better. Uh, the Biden administration has tried to get in front of this. They tried to uh, redefine the term recession, because I think a lot of economists are sort of pointing that, mm-hmm. you know, we might be heading into a recession. And recession is normally defined as two quarters 
of sustained economic retraction. So GDP is not growing. It's going backwards. We are losing GDP. Um, and the Biden administration is trying to argue that because the labor market is strong, that there are a lot of open jobs and people are able to go and find work, although for some reason the Biden administration won't explain, uh, they are not taking those jobs. But the labor market is strong. So they think that that, that that means that we're not in a recession, which many economists are not quite sure about. But that's sort of where we're at right now. Inflation is high. It is likely we're heading into a recession. But the Biden administration is trying to define it as anything but a recession. Yeah, not that we're not counting on the Lord for uh, our needs and him meeting all of our needs. But there, the statistic that I read was that 23 percent of Americans have no emergency savings at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very scary. I, I do think that Americans are uh, starting to feel that. I mean, if they're, if it's imagine you you for God forbid you get in an accident or, or somebody gets sick in your family, a large majority of Americans or a large quantity of Americans are not able to sustain that type of economic crisis, where they wouldn't be able to to pay for those types of either treatments or they wouldn't be able to pay for hospital care. So, I mean, something I do think has to give here. And I, I think that the, the Biden administration is trying to figure something out. But without getting those inflation numbers down, it would be very difficult to make a dent in, I, I think, what a lot of Americans are viewing as possibly the most important thing uh, facing them in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is troubling. When I read the reports of so many people who are, are in they're at a very critical point in their finances. And I, I just have such sensitivity for uh, people who are suffering. And then you add in higher prices on everything and it's just, uh, it's overwhelming. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it's tough. And yeah. I, I do, it, I think that one of the things too is that uh, at least at the very least, and this is something positive, I do want to point out something positive here. The Biden administration is starting to try and treat this like inflation will not be transitory, right? That the sort of rhetoric at the beginning was that inflation was going to go away. This is going to be something that we wouldn't have to deal with for very long. But they are at least moving into the mindset that uh, inflation is here to stay and that they're going to have to deal with that. However, I do wish that the, the rhetoric coming from the White House was something different, that we are not heading for a recession. I think it's better that if they were able to sort of take on that bull by the horns and acknowledge that, yes, we're going to be going into an economic downturn, the Fed might have to raise interest rates to sort of correct for the, the wild, out-of-control inflation, that that might be the thing. We are not quite sure if the Fed is going to raise inflation rates – or sorry, in, uh, interest rates. Uh, it is likely that they will have to at some point, but they haven't announced yet whether or not they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Doug Blair is my guest. He is um, a writer at the Daily Signal. He's a news producer there at the Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com to learn more about Doug and his work. He's also the co-host of the Daily Signal podcast. And he did mention that he had uh, a great uh, podcast there recently with uh, Ennis Cantor. And did I say his name right? I think he added another name. He, he His last name is Ennis Cantor Freedom. Yeah, and he wanted to show his love for the country. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So you can go learn more about that and hear that at dailysignal.com. But we're going to take a break when we come back. I want you to know that you can always ask questions when I have uh, Doug on or Rob Louie. And we're learning about things from Washington, D.C. I have no agenda. I want to hear from you, and, and I can ask Doug or Rob whatever questions you have, and they will do their very best to answer. So text them over if you like, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I have that number memorized, uh, but you probably don't. So we'll be right back.
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. So glad you've joined me. Doug Blair is my guest. He's writer at the Daily Signal and co-host of the podcast there. Uh, Doug, question just came in. Is there anything we the people can do to help with the rise of inflation? Or now that it started, is it just kind of here to stay? I mean, I think that's a wonderful question because honestly... This is something that is affecting we, the people, but we don't have as much control over as we would like. So one of the things, though, that we can do is we can hold our politicians accountable for when they do things that make inflation worse. Uh, so programs that the Biden administration has currently tried to put into place, uh, like those, those massive trillion-dollar spending packages that passed during the pandemic, uh, the proposed Build Back Better plan that the, the president has, has tried to resurrect a, a number of different times, Uh, that would make things worse. So when we, the people, elect our representatives and when we send people to Congress and we send people to the White House, we should expect them to use our money wisely, right? Tax dollars and the money that we put into the economy or or into the government are going to go and affect the economy as a whole. So we need to demand that our representatives don't misspend our money. They don't use our money frivolously. We need to demand that they use actually the money that they have instead of the money that they wish they had. And if they do start to go off track and start to spend more than they have available, we need to punish them and say, you can't do that. We're going to uh, elect officials that are going to steward our funds wisely. That's mm. kind of, I think, the most we can do. I wish we could do more. I mean, I wish we could sort of flip a switch and turn the economy down. But it's a bit rough from the sort of mi- micro level. It's more at the macro level. Mm-hmm. There's a question from Jim from Connecticut. Will any justice ever be done in the Hillary server Trump collusion? Well, Jim, that's a wonderful question, and thank you so much for it. I mean, again, we, we can't necessarily do as much at the micro level when we're sort of looking at these larger scale legal things. Now, one of the things that the Republican Party has said is once they get back into power, slash if they get back into power come November, uh, there will be investigations into a lot of these things. The Hunter Biden laptop story is one thing. Uh, Dr. Fauci and how he was uh, managing COVID during the, the pandemic and how some of those restrictions were super onerous, even though they didn't seem to do anything. And then, of course, the Hunter, or the, excuse me, the uh, Hillary Clinton email servers and the Russiagate thing. So I would expect that once Republicans gain power, it seems like likely that they will. Obviously, I'm not a seer. I'm not an oracle, but it seems as if they will probably at least gain power back in the House back in in, in November. So we should expect to start to see investigations into that. What the result of those investigations will be is unclear, but that will start to happen. Mm -hmm. Doug, I have to say I love my listeners, and I love when they uh, send questions over. And this one, I love the way this question was framed. Uh, I noticed Pence and Trump are both in D.C. today. Seems like news is playing it up as a mini war do you see it that way? I don't have a strong opinion about either, so you won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are, these are my listeners. I, I love them, Doug. They're great. I mean, these are wonderful questions, and I'm very glad to. I think before I answer that question, I'm very glad to, to see that your listenership is so engaged with the news of the day. That's kind of one of the most important things that we need to be as a populace is we need to be informed, right? We need to know what's going on in our country. Otherwise, how can we expect to change things for the better? But to the question, 
Uh, Pence and, and Trump are both in D.C. today, and we have noticed that there has been a sort of brewing tension between the two of them. I do firmly believe in my heart of hearts that they both have what they believe for the, the best of the country is. I do think that former President Trump wants a stronger America. He wants to, you know, in his own words, make America great again. But I just believe that Pence and Trump have differing visions of what the country should look like. Now, that being said, I do think that the Republican Party and the conservative movement is unified against what they view as a larger threat from uh, the left when they view the sort of Democrat control of the House, the Senate, and the White House as providing some of the worst inflation that we've seen in a very, very long time, possibly ever, when we see the rise of uh, what seems to be ideological education as opposed to practical education in our schools, when they see that our freedoms and our liberties start to get infringed upon in the name of medicine, in the, in the name of public safety and health, uh, I think that they sort of recognize that unless they come together and they unify on these issues to fight back against what is perceived to be the threat, uh, we could very well lose and the conservative movement might be set back for a very long time. So as much as those two, I don't think see eye to eye on everything. I do think that that they are aligned and at least recognizing that there is a bigger threat to deal with. Mm-hmm. Douglas Blair is my guest. He's at Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. Here's another story that's popped up, uh, Doug. The Senate voted 64 to 32 to advance a $280 billion package of subsidies and research funding to boost U.S. competitiveness in semiconductors and advanced technology. What is your perspective on that? So this is a very interesting thing, because as many Republicans sort of voted for this bill, you see that there is a a bipartisan push to do it. Now, the Heritage Foundation argues that this is actually not a particularly good strategy to addressing what we really want. The reason why this is such a dangerous uh, or this is such an important topic, mind you, is that the Taiwanese are currently facing a, a threatening, menacing China. Uh, The Chinese have implied that they will likely try and do something to Taiwan, which is where the vast majority of these types of chips are produced. So if, let's say, things go sideways, China is successfully able to take over the island and by that very nature control a large portion of the chip conductor market, now all of a sudden you have these products that are just unable to be made. Many cars, many televisions, many defense products have these types of chips in them, and therefore having that under the control of an adversary makes things a lot more difficult. So the goal of this bill is to sort of bolster American production of the chips. The issue with that is, is it sort of the same thing as saying, well, this is an essential and the government needs to step in and make sure that the, the, the home country is able to produce the product. Normally, that doesn't work. We see on a lot of these types of things where the idea is fine that you want to have the production at home, but the actual risk to sort of like destroying economic freedom and competitiveness, and it drives the country into more debt because you're spending more, those start to sort of offset the benefits that you get when you bring the production home. So there are definitely concerns surrounding whether or not the Chinese will be able to sort of corner the market if they are able to do something in Taiwan. The solution isn't to pass subsidies for markets that either aren't competitive or aren't ready yet to be sort of on the world stage. Mm -hmm. Doug, as much as I show appreciation for you as my guest, I want to take a second to show appreciation for a listener. Uh, Deanna just said, I would not be aware of the news without these programs. Thanks for the show today. How nice is that? Yeah. Another question that came in, and this is a common sense thing, I believe, but you can shed light on this. Why is it that Republicans have to be in control for people slash criminals 
uh, that need to be prosecuted. I mean, I, you- mean I, w- I, I mean, I wish that it wasn't that way. I wish that we had two parties in this country that uh, believed in law and order. But currently, it seems like the Republican Party is the only one that seems to value law and order. Look at uh, a lot of these cities across the country that are dealing with spikes in crime. As a personal example, Bill, you know that I'm from Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And whenever I look home and I start to see how crime is dealt with in Portland, I find it to be very lacking. Specifically during the 2020 riots where where people were able to go out in the streets, smash windows, set fires to buildings, pull down statues, the works for 100 days straight – and both the mayor and the prosecutor for the city refused to do anything about it, well, that just emboldens crime. Uh, In New York City, we recently saw a case that should not have ever gotten nearly as far as it did. Uh, This was the bodega owner who defended himself. It was self-defense. It was Mm. caught on video. Uh, and he was sent to Rikers Island, and he was he was wounded. He got an infection. Uh, that should have never happened. This is this is something when you you have a community that is is relying on itself to protect itself, and then the prosecutor steps in and says, "Well, no, you can't do that." Well, crime will spike. So I wish that the Democrats would be more in the boat of, "Hey, we should probably keep our streets safe. We should keep our our citizens protected from criminals." But it really only seems like there's one party currently sitting in the. Uh, in Congress that is, or, or even the governor's mansion that is concerned with keeping the citizenry safe. Yeah, and I can't think of the name of the congressman that was attacked in New York over the weekend. Lee Zeldin. Lee Zeldin, yes. And of course, you see this little weapon this guy has, and he is, uh, you know, a cash-free bail. He's back on the street. Now, they since have uh, apprehended him again, but the fact that he was able to just walk freely is kind of nuts, isn't it? You attack someone with a, a, a weapon that could kill somebody? I mean, if if I was Lee Zeldin, I would be using that in all of my advertising because the idea that somebody who who attempted a murder, right? I mean, again, we can sort of see what his impression was. He had a weapon. He was approaching Lee Zeldin on stage. Uh, what else was he going to do? But if he's able to walk free without bail, that's just madness. I, I mean, think it is too. It's madness, and I yeah. think that everybody kind of recognizes that. Yeah, and he starts by saying, "You're done." But mm-hmm. oh boy, mm-hmm. that's uh, pretty scary. All right, uh, Doug, thank you for your time today. You know, I always enjoy having Daily Signal on, and you guys are um, always a a really breath of fresh air, so thanks. Absolutely. Bill, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, been a pleasure. All right, um, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, I hope Dr. Greg Borgon is going to be here because he's usually early and he's not here yet. So Rosie and I promise we're not even nervous yet, are we? We're not sweating little bit. I'm definitely sweating. You're sweating. I'm okay, sweating. Well, don't be. Don't be. All okay. Right. So we trust God. Yes. So we still have some uh, biggest uh, book bundle ever giveaway going on. And if you want in on that, uh, uh, you can do that by going to MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. Uh, we're talking about sharpening your parent skills and finding answers to hard questions. We've got some book bundles based on that topic to give away. So if you're in that category and you would like to get in on the drawing for that bundle, do it at MyFaithRadio.com. Dot com And make sure you get the Faith Radio app. If you don't have it yet on your smartphone, or maybe you don't even have a smartphone yet, uh, start by getting a smartphone and then getting the app that gets Faith Radio on it, and you'll be happy. All right, we'll take a short break. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining me today. I hope um, you're having a great day. I love that we get to spend a couple hours together in the afternoon. And maybe you're a podcast listener and you're just catching this tonight and it's late and you've had a long day, but you still figured a way to get your phone and open the app and listen to Faith Radio. So thanks for doing that. I'm so glad to have Dr. Greg Borgon with me. He's president and founder of heartofawarrior.org and always Glad to have Greg on the show. Greg, welcome. Good to be here. You know, I've been thinking lately how important it is that we know who we are in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And our identity uh, as um, a believer. And one of the things that I am, I love, and I've, I've sh- I share the story, I shared it today, as a matter of fact, um, about how you have helped shape the identity of your grandkids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've done that in a way that has... Um, it really left an impression on me. I would love for you to share that with sure, sure. our listeners. Well, um, as uh, you know, Bill, we ended up, uh, through some unfortunate circumstances, ended up uh, taking uh, custody of our four grandsons. But even before that, God had just placed on my heart that the world that they were going to engage when they got old enough was going to be difficult and dark. And that when we uh, brought them into our home, I felt that God was calling us to be strategic parents in their life. That didn't mean their real parents were out of their life, but we had the primary responsibility for them. So one of the things God laid on my heart was to give my boys values. And because I knew this about values, values are the filter through which you process decisions of any consequence. So the hills you're prepared to die on, the principles you intend to live by. So um, I prayed and I asked the Lord to give me wisdom. First of all, with Braden, who is my oldest, he's now 23 years of age. Um, But I remember because of what I saw in him at a very early age, I saw these two values. I saw strength and honor. So I gave him the values of strength and honor. And then for Kieran, Kieran... Now let's back up just a second. When you say you gave him the values, you recognize them. But you always, when you see him, you refer to him as oh yeah, you even say, to this high strength day. and honor. Yeah, even to this day, even uh, when we text one another, we always sign off by strength and honor. Yeah, so it's become part of his his DNA, oh, really, it's hasn't part, it? It's part of his identity. Yeah, because you know, as he grew older, it became obvious what those values meant. Because I looked for that um, you know point in 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 their life where I could go ahead and move from just a kind of a neat way in which Grandpa or Papa greeted them to uh, meaning something in their life. So for him, it was strength and honor. Now, Kieran was my artistic one. He was all, always all over the map, scared of his own shadow. And when I laid him before the Lord and I asked God, I said, besides the family values that we all have, which is the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, what values uh, should I give Kieran, <clears throat> who's afraid of his own shadow? And it came <laughs> to me almost right away. It was courage and valor. Wow. So, Kieran, uh, and as you know, Bill, we're going to be leaving in a few days for Ireland. I'm Rub taking both of these boys Rub it in. <laughs> to Ireland for three weeks. Yeah. And uh, But anyway, Kieran is, is courage and valor. And so when it came to Galen, um, when I prayed before the Lord, I just saw a tenderness in him. I remember he got very, very sick, and I was holding him in my arms in a rocking chair for 24 hours in my home. 
and we actually didn't know if he was going to make it. And he just had such a high fever, and I kept praying uh, for him, and it just became obvious that his values were going to be goodness and integrity. And so even to this day, he's 21 years of age. He's a student at University of Northwestern, and uh, we greet each other um, by his values, goodness and integrity. And you call him that. Hey, yeah. goodness and integrity. <laughs> I say, Galen, goodness and integrity. He yeah. said, Papa, goodness and integrity. Well, that's so sweet. And then Lachlan, who is a high-functioning autistic, a little savant, he learned how to play the piano when he was just six years old and wrote poetry. But he was a preemie. And we were there for his birth, and as they carried him out of the room where he was born, and the nurse was holding him, and they passed us, God laid on my heart, his was going to be truth and wisdom. Hmm. And so to this day, now now Lachlan is 18 years of age, and Braden, the oldest, is 23. We still greet each other with those values. Mm -hmm. And so I looked for um, a point in their life where it became more than just a greeting that it became something that meant something in their life. So even today, um, they'll say, Papa, can I tell you something I did related to my, my values? And I say, yeah, as long as you can tell me when you violated them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it means that much to them. It's just this unique connection that we have, and now they have with the Lord, because we've had you know devotions where I talk about those values and what those values mean from a biblical point of view. And and what I've learned, Bill, is that your children become who you name them. If you give them negative monikers, mm -hmm. if you're constantly critical of them, as we've talked about in one of your shows, that if you're a constant critic of them, they won't stop loving you. They'll stop loving themselves. Mm. And so when you give them values, it tells them they are of value, and not only to you as a strategic parent or to their own parents, but also to the Lord. And and so we, uh, that's how we greet each other. Yeah, you know, my mom gifted me trust at a very young age. Yeah, where she trusted me. Yeah, at a young age. Yeah, and I thought, oh boy, I don't ever want to lose that. Yeah, well, see, she may have done it indirect. Did she actually give that to you as a value, or is no, it no? Just that's the way she treated you. She treated and, me that way, and then you become. And that. it became so valuable to me that I didn't want to lose it. You know, it was Neil Anderson that said one time, "It's not what you do that determines who you are; it's who you are in Christ that should determine what you do." So when you uh, value people that God values, uh, not just your immediate family, but extended then they feel a sense of value. And so values to me are extremely important. And, you know, encouragement and affirmation, um, when you have encouragement in your day, it mm -hmm. makes such a difference. And when you feel like you're living up to a standard bestowed on you by someone, whether it be right from Scripture or from a loving uh, grandparent like you are to your grandkids, it means something very significant. Well, they're not going to hear a lot of that from the world around them. No. And and some parents believe, well, my child knows I love them. They know I value them. No, they don't. Um, they need to be told regularly because they go through life, they experience difficulties, criticisms, whatever it might be. But in the home, they should know that they're valued. Doesn't mean they get carte blanche for any behavior that's um, that needs to be corrected. But it means that regardless, just like God loves us, 
You know, he gave us his corporate set of values, which is the fruit of the Spirit, which are really the values that are on the heart of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So those are the values of the family of God Mm -hmm. and the corporate or familial values. Well, in addition to that, I identified these values for the boys and um, made sure I had lots of stories as I watched them in their life because I'm an observer and I observed them, I'd always point out when I saw them demonstrate their value, either one of their values. Now, I gave them two. It doesn't mean everybody should do that. I, I just felt that God, that's what God wanted me mm-hmm. to do. What if that sounds like a really great idea to maybe some grandparents even, and they're thinking, um, is it too late to start this? To say to their grandson or granddaughter who might be 14 right now or 15, I want to I bestow on you some values and I want to refer to you uh, in addition to your name by these beautiful values. It is never too late. I get that, but how hard is it to do? Well, it, uh, it, it depends on how you preface it. For instance, I embedded these values in a blessing that I wrote for each of my, my boys. And uh, so when we, when they were very, very young, um, we went and we rented what's called the White House at uh, Green Lake Conference Center, which is this big white home. And uh, we spent two nights uh, just bestowing blessings on them in which their values were embedded. So that's one way of doing it. But another way of doing it is just to say, because of my love for you, let me share with you what I believe God has, has had me see in you or what God has laid on my heart to give you. And then to explain as briefly and as simply as possible what a value is. You know, it's, it's what you, you end up making your decisions of any consequence. And because I've seen this in you or God's laid it on my heart, I want to bestow it upon you because that's your identity mm-hmm. in Christ. Yeah. And we really, Greg, can't know who we are until we know who we are in Christ. Absolutely. Isn't everything else just rearranging deck furniture? Everything else is a shadow. Boat? Everything else is is uh, a, it, it's a, really an imposter because the only time that you ever come to clarity of what true humanity is, is when you lay before the cross at the moment of your conversion who you think you are, and then God gives you back who you really are. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so that is your identity. You're, he's your creator. Right. It says in Scripture, he superimposed, uh, he oversaw, superintended your formation in your mother's womb. He knew you before you ever were. He set the number of days you would walk this earth. So every human being was on the heart of God before they ever came to be. Mm-hmm. And so embedded in them is God's DNA. It's called the image of God, which may be distorted or marred by sin, but can be resurrected and brought to life again when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's when we truly start to learn who we really are in Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's our identity that was forged for us before we ever came to be. There's something beautiful about something you just said about, you know, all of our days were ordained. And that's Mm -hmm. a biblical reality. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that go, ah, that, that... I don't know. That makes me uncomfortable. Well, it may make them uncomfortable, but the fact of the matter is is that you seize the moment. I mean, seize the day, if you will. 
that you live every day to the fullest, not knowing if you're going to have the next day because mm-hmm. there are no guarantees. Right. But when God gives us the number of days we're to live on this earth, um, for those of us who are followers in Christ, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done uh, with what God's given us. And it has it has nothing to do with our eternal security because that's guaranteed. It says that God has sealed us for eternity with the promised Holy Spirit, and he won't break that seal or he deny himself. So the whole idea is is that we know who we are in Christ, and we're going to give an account because God is expecting an ROI, a return on his investment, mm-hmm. which will determine our rewards and how we will be serving him. We're not going to be playing harps on a cloud. I, I mean, there's not, going to be not. a new heaven and a new earth that's still going to be governed. It's still going to be ruled by, by Christ himself. Um, in person, and there will be functions and responsibilities we'll have, uh, but unhindered by sin. Isn't that mm. going to be amazing? Oh, it's going to be amazing. All right, Greg, I'm going to take a break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. He's at heartofawarriors.org. You can learn more about him there. When we come back, I'm going to ask Greg why it's so important what we believe. And we're going to be right back in just a minute and a half. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. It's great to be with you, and I'm so glad if you just tuned in, I'll let you know what's going on. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. He's here with me in the studio, and he's wearing a nice uh, pinstripe shirt, and he's getting ready in nine days to go to Ireland. You betcha. Yeah, so I'm not too jealous, (laughs) but I'm a little jealous. But you're going to be with your bride and then a couple of your grandkids. No, actually, it's just my two grandsons, and it's a delighted graduation gift for them. (laughs) Belated graduation gift. Yeah, COVID put it off. I had to cancel it two years in a row, but we're going for three weeks. And uh, I just can't wait to see Ireland through their eyes and show them the Ireland I love. So, Greg, here's the question I want to ask you. Why is it so important what we believe? Where do we go from there? Yeah, I mean, when when you take a look at a passage like John 8, 31 and 32, he says, if you are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. So truth sets you free, not your perception of truth. Um, I share oftentimes about a a formula, S equals R over E. S means satisfaction or success, um, or um, uh, and and R means reality, and and E is expectation. So if you have a perception of reality that is not truth, then your expectations are you build against that unacceptable reality is going to bring misery and lack of satisfaction because you're not going to be able to complete anything that you've set out to complete. But when your life is based on truth, then you adjust your expectations against the truth, and then you'll see uh, what satisfaction or significance in this case we're talking about um, really means. 
So the whole idea about beliefs being important, um, the, the Greek word for believe means uh, is pisteo. It means to trust and rely on and cling to. So what it's talking about when we say the importance of beliefs are not mental affirmations of, of an existence of anything. What it is is what you trust in, rely on, and cling to at the core mm-hmm. because that's going to determine ultimately how you behave. Your beliefs lead to behavior, not maybe the beliefs that you articulate. It's very easy to articulate a belief system that bears little correlation with how you behave. But if I watch somebody's behavior over time, I can tell you what they truly believe at the core of who they are. Mm. So beliefs are important because they give rise to behavior. Corrupted beliefs produce corrupted behavior. Biblical beliefs produce godly behavior. Mm -hmm. And so we have a choice. Are we going to live uh, based on a perception of truth, which is not really reality, or are we going to live in accordance with the truth? Oh, I like that. So it's important to live in accordance with the truth because, as John said, it's the truth that really sets you free from the bondage of your misery, your misconceptions, your misunderstandings, um, your mistakes that you will make along the way. It's truth that really sets you free. So beliefs are absolutely important. And beliefs should lead uh, feelings. Feelings should never lead beliefs. Amen. So feelings will come out of beliefs. And But beliefs are absolutely important, foundational beliefs that are biblical. Because they will create your values. Oh, yeah. Your uh, beliefs will create your values, and your values will create your worldview. Yeah. The research that I did on the term heart, which is found over um, 900 times in the Bible, depending on which version that you're reading, um, in all but three instances, it referred to um, the core of your being. Your decision-making process. Yes. And what I found out in the research is there was a relationship between these components, and it's this. Our central beliefs um, establish our values. Our values inform our worldview, the set of perceptions we have about life. Our worldview conditions our motives. Our motives energize our behavior, and our behavior will always reflect the health of our heart. But it begins with beliefs. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, somebody's worldview is their beliefs and their values. Right. That's what a worldview is. So consequently, if your beliefs establish, now it's not as linear as I've just described it, Bill. It's more like an ecosystem, but the central cell in that ecosystem is your belief. And so it matters what you believe, what you're trusting and relying on and clinging to. Such an important point. Yeah, yeah. Because how often will you have discussions with people and they'll say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Well, I think that's myself, just it. Oh, contraire. Absolutely. I think that's French. <laughs> is that French? Oh, Nobody contraire. knows. Yes, it yeah. is. Is it really? Yes, okay, it is. Okay, because I took Latin in high school. Uh, my last name used to be Bourguignon de Colorat, so I know it's French. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Lay that one on me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, you know, the beliefs are absolutely central. It matters what you believe. And so we need to be paying attention to what we believe because it forms an ideology, a philosophy, a worldview. Uh, And your worldview is the lens through which you view the world and make sense of your observations. It's how you connect the dots, how you pull things together. And everyone has a worldview. And some people have multiple worldviews that are an amalgamation uh, of, of several worldviews. But what I've always contended for is to establish a biblical worldview because it's based on truth. It's not based on perceptions or common sense 
or the prevailing cultural uh, milieu. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is is that your beliefs will establish your values. Your values will inform your worldview. Your worldview conditions your motives. Your motives energize your behavior. And your behavior will always reflect the health of your heart. Yeah. Wow. That is so, such a complete thought. And I, I appreciate that journey from how important your beliefs are yeah. to the values it will create, which will inform your worldview. Uh, it just it's a it's a beautiful progression of yeah, and it helps you understand think. it's all connected. I mean, oh. Proverbs four twenty three says, "Above all else, guard your heart, for from it comes the wellspring of your life." And the heart, as in this research, was comprised of beliefs, values, worldview, motives, attitudes, and motives. And so the idea is above all else. So in other words, what God was saying us through Solomon and Proverbs was, make it your highest priority. Understand above all else. Guard your heart. Be vigilant. Make sure that um, what's going into your heart that comprises your identity is truth. Mm-hmm. And so you have to guard it. You have to be careful what you read, what you see, what you hear, who you hang around with, what you embrace, how you entertain yourselves, because it'll end up shaping your worldview if you're not careful. Yeah. Amen. So yesterday... Was it what is today? Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. All right, good. So yesterday <laughs> on the program, I talked to a, a, my, my friend Patrick, who I have on Mondays to get things started off on a lighter note, and I was telling him some of the things I'd seen on the internet over the weekend about a television show, a late night TV show, where uh, he has the the host Stephen Colbert has a list of questions that he calls the the uh, the fifteen questions to ask celebrities. Uh, one of which was. What do you think happens when you die? Yeah. And it was very interesting, Greg, because the responses were uh, incredibly unspiritual. Most of them were, well, um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, you get to go be with the people you love. <laughs> you know, that yeah. that was the the the, the, the basic kind of answer you get is that your yeah. energy is going to be used in a significant way. One person said... Um, you go to, I'm going to go to heaven and check in and then I'll come back and I'll help people that need my help here. Yeah. When you deny God's truth, you end up conjuring up your own worldview that accommodates your lifestyle, your predispositions, your biases, your desires, and they're all over the wall. And we don't realize oftentimes how silly they sound until we verbalize them. I know. (laughs) I know. So I saw these, these celebrities very uncomfortable when it came to that question. Sure. So I'm going to ask you... Uh, the same question. What do you think happens when you die? Well, first of all, uh, when I die, I go immediately to be with the Lord. And I, uh, and it's my soul, the, the essence of my being, because I'm not physically resurrected until later uh, when there is new heaven and a new earth. But uh, there's no soul sleep. I go immediately to be with him. And that's where I will come together with people who have been in my life, my family and others, who have also received Jesus, that's when I'll see them again. And we'll have this wonderful fellowship um, and uh, until Christ actually comes again, if I, if, I don't, if, I, if I die before he comes. So the idea is, is that I go, to be, I go to be with him. I go to what's called heaven. Um, and so consequently, um, there's all kinds of things that could happen. And one of the greatest books on heaven that I know of is written by Randy Elkhorn called Heaven. It just kind of gives you a glimpse of what that's going to be. But ultimately, God will create a new heaven and a new earth 
and that will be our abode. So I go to be with the Lord because I first received him as my Savior and Lord. I recognized I was under new management. I didn't receive him as Savior just to accrue benefits to my account. Um, I also received him as Lord and knew I was under new management. And so hopefully I'm trying to live my life by the power of the Holy Spirit in the same direction over an extended period of time. And what I hope to hear from the Lord is, Greg, uh, we've been waiting for you. I'm glad you're home. You're a man after my own heart. Mm, Beautiful. And I want to hear most of all. Yeah. That's, uh, I appreciate that. That that answer on TV would have shocked people if anyone <laughs> sure ever came out with that one. Sure but it would have. There's the truth. Yeah. And yeah. it would embarrass them probably, but nevertheless, it's the truth. Yeah. It is the real truth, and they're I, going to come yeah. to that. I think my point was, if you ever got asked that question in mixed company, would you be able to give a solid answer? And I always think it's good practice. Oh, so yeah. I, I put you out as kind of the guinea pig <laughs> to say, you know, here's... Here's what Dr. Greg Borgon would say, given the question. Yeah, you know, one of the things I would tell him is my identity is in Christ and and about how he superintended my formation, how he set the purpose of my life, how he gives me direction and guidance and how I'm to honor him, how I'm to live my life uh, to honor him. And um, there'll be a day when he welcomes me home. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I live a perfect life. It just means I live a forgiven life. Yeah. Thank you for coming in today, and thank you for uh, your time on the show. And you're also leaving for Ireland in nine days, so <laughs> have a wonderful time. I'm so looking forward to it, yeah, Bill. Thank, thank you. you. And as you have a morning cup of Irish coffee, think of, think of your old pal, Bill. Okay? Oh, I'll have one or two for you, Bill. Thanks so much. <laughs> not, not a bad brogue either. All right. We'll take a break, and we come back. Todd Mulliken is going to be joining me here in studio. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.